Welcome to The Squonk and the Hag, a podcast about murder, mystery, the supernatural, and even a conspiracy or two. Dun, dun, dun. My name is Mo. And I'm Kraken. And today we actually have a really fun story that kind of branches through the two of the spooky, crazy stories and the true crime. So we are going to be talking about the disappearances, plural, and murder of Charles Morgan. He was straight up not having a good day. Correct. Correct. So Charles Chuck Morgan was a business and family man living in Tucson, Arizona. Chuck had been working in escrow and land sales for years, having recently obtained his own escrow business. On March 22nd, 1977, Chuck took his daughters to school and disappeared. At 2 a.m., Chuck showed up at his house three days later. His wife, Ruth, <laughs> Ruth. <laughs> I mean, maybe, may, maybe she was a, a roofer. I mean, no, it's it pretty fine. It's fine. His wife, Ruth, reports that he was missing a shoe. He had plastic handcuffs around one of his ankles and his hands were bound. Are we sure Mr. Morgan was not just out partying? <laughs> well, what I want to know is what exactly the plastic handcuffs were. Because I've seen a lot of different sort of reports of, you know, it was zip ties or something yeah. like that. But when I hear plastic handcuffs, I think of like those little red ones in like the kids. He got kidnapped by Crackle. <laughs> he got kidnapped by me and my Fisher Price police place it. Oh, my God. Because uh, you were alive in 1977. Yes, of course. <laughs> so when she asked where he had been he indicated that he could not talk so Ruth brought him a notepad and a pen Chuck wrote that he could not speak due to a hallucinogenic drug painted on the back of his throat that if ingested would either cause him to go insane or shut down his nervous system entirely I feel like that is somebody who's on a hallucinating truck would say. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So Ruth Don't wanted that. <laughs> Ruth wanted to call the police and she wanted to take him to the hospital, but he refused to let her because it would be signing a death warrant for the whole family. Um, if you remember, like two seconds ago, I said he had kids and a wife, so he did not want to put them at risk. Yeah, and then if you were uh, kidnapped by someone that was possibly, you know, in with the police and the government. The last person you want to go to is the police or the government. Yeah. And if you're tripping balls on some kind of crazy hallucinogenic drug, you also probably don't want to go to the police. Yeah, because I don't think that's going to help them believe you. Yeah. It's like, trust me, officer. They painted it on the back of my throat. Trust me, it's not the LSD. I promised you there I promised you there were lizard men and there were pyramids and it was insane. You had to be there. <laughs> that reminds me of the meme of the cat with the really big pupils that says, I haven't seen your LSD, but have you seen the fucking dragon in the kitchen? Oh my god, no. <laughs> oh god. 
<laughs> All right. So he asked her to move his car to the back of the house. So, quote unquote, they, the elusive they, would not know he was home. Uh, I have heard different stories that he had escaped his captors. And that's why he had one plastic handcuff and you know he was missing a shoe and you know they he they wouldn't know where he was uh but that that was like kind of hearsay basically what i had heard was that he was taken to an airport flown somewhere interrogated and tortured flown back and that's when he escaped his captors Okay, well, I have several questions. Um, one, who is they? Are like, have we have we uncovered who this uh, this group is? Because it seems to be a lot of people get kidnapped or something, and it always comes back to they. Are we sure they isn't just the group that kidnapped him? They're just called they. <laughs> it's something with a capital T. It'd be, it'd be a good cover. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do know, like, as we get into the story, uh, there are some possible ties to organized crime. There's possible ties to drug smuggling and stuff like that. But I don't think they ever actually nailed down exactly who kidnapped him. It uh, could be a case of, because uh, as the story goes on, it could be a case of uh, the police or whoever he was working for got what information they needed and he was just a casualty. And so they're like, all right, we got what we needed. It's, it's sad. He died, but there's nothing else we can do. Well, he's not dead yet. Yet. <laughs> so Ruth. And he's like, this him. never end well. Yeah. No, Ruth. Yeah. No, no, no. Ruth nursed him back to health. And as he recovered, he started being able to explain more of the situation. He claimed that he was a secret agent for the Treasury Department for the past two or three years, and he was helping to fight against organized crime in the area. He said he'd been abducted and tortured for the three days he was gone somewhere near Phoenix's Sky Harbor Airport. And like I said, uh, in one account, uh, she said he was flown out, and when he was flown back is when he got away. And he also noted that at this time, they took his Treasury Department identification card so i'm i'm just gonna put this out here a lot of this already sounds really far-fetched just a bit but you know like if my husband came home after disappearing for three days and he was like i'm a secret agent why do I feel like if your husband came home and said that and he said he had a mysterious drug on the back of his throat and he couldn't talk, why do I feel like you would try to like tickle him or something to make him talk? Because I would. And then he laughs or speaks and then he just collapses on the floor. Oopsie. And then you're left with more questions. It's like, oh, like, I guess. oh wait, you were being serious. I wonder what I do now. Uh, so this started a time of intense paranoia for Chuck. He started wearing a bulletproof vest everywhere he went. Do you uh, not? No. 
I mean, I, they, they, like, it could just be the you... fact because you know, I, I, you know, there's there's a lot of people that talk about cooking frog legs and everything. So you know, I gotta watch my back. <laughs> well, what I like, how do you just buy a bulletproof vest? Like, can you do that? Yeah, it's very easy. Really? I I may or may not have one. Really? Yeah. Huh. It ain't cheap, but like, yeah, no, you you can you can do you, it. You just go to the bulletproof vest store and buy one. Literally, just go online and they'll ship it to your front door. Huh. I if I ever want to have the like apocalyptic fashion statement, yeah. I'll like wear like a frilly pink dress with a bulletproof vest. It'll be great. Uh, okay. Of course, so, of course, it has to be pink. Do they sell pink bulletproof vests? Probably. I know there's like pink camo, so I'm sure you could get a pink camo bulletproof vest, I'm sure. Or I could embroider flowers on it. That too. <gasps> oh, you know like the flower crowns that you make with the silk flowers? I could decorate my bulletproof vest with flowers. Just a little hot glue. Yeah. Okay. So he went uh he was wearing a bulletproof vest I had everywhere. Mouthful of drink, I was trying not to choke. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, he was wearing a bulletproof vest everywhere. He had always been clean shaven and he grew out a full beard to mask his face. He didn't allow his daughters to go anywhere unescorted and he never let strangers into the house after that. So then on June 7th, which was, let's see, March to April, April to May, May to June. So about three months later, uh, he vanishes again. Uh, Ruth had taken the girls to school that day, and Chuck had supposedly gone to work. However, in the late afternoon, he called his office from a payphone. Now, we do have to remember it is the 70s. You did not have a cell phone back then. But he said, I'll be in the office in about half an hour. And he never showed up. Before he disappeared. Yeah. Someone who got kidnapped <laughs> not showing up when they say they will. It's not a good sign. Yeah. Before he disappeared, he had alluded to a letter that would explain everything if anything happened to him. But no one knows anything about a letter. Like, it has not surfaced. Uh, so nine yeah. days. Yeah. Nine days after this. Uh, his wife gets a call from an unknown woman who told her. Chuck is all right. Ecclesiastes 12, 1 through 8. And then hung up. Not weird at all. Like, seriously, what are you supposed to do with that? Like, if somebody called me, first of all, I wouldn't answer the phone because who who calls somebody? Uh, but yeah, who, who uses a phone anymore? Uh, my dad. My dad has a brand new iPhone that he uses as a phone. Understandable. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know how to text. He doesn't know how to take pictures of his cats. Man, if, if if he could take pictures of the cats, imagine the content we would have. Oh, my God. Especially since one of their cats is insane. Anyway. So, um, perhaps Chuck was all right when the call was made. But two days later, he was found dead in the desert near his car, which was a mercury cougar 
not sure what that is. Like it's, I know it's I'm a car. I'm not sure either. I would have to look it up. I, it's something I know it's with a wheels. Car. Yeah, it's a vroom vroom. <laughs> so he was. It's a vroom vroom. Is that what you call cars? Yeah, vroom sure. Vroom? Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. It's a vroom vroom. He was just off the highway on a dirt road, about forty miles from his home. So that's not. It's not far, but it's not close. So 40 miles, if you think you're going 60 miles an hour, is 40 minutes away. Um, Longer if you're driving slow. I only know 60 to 60 because 60 minutes equals a mile a minute. So then you do the thing. The math. There's a lot of math and numbers involved. I'm not I'm not vibing with this. All right, so Chuck had been shot in the back of the head by his own 387 Magnum, which I believe we had talked about this before. You were like, I've never heard of that. And then we looked into it, and it's a 38 special. Yeah, because I've, I've never heard it called that. I've, I've heard of 38 special, but never the other. That's it was 387 Magnum, yeah. yeah. So one report states that the bullet traveled through his head and settled between his teeth. Uh, the gun that, was that lying. Did just hear? Yeah. Um, so the gun was lying near his body. Uh, no fingerprints were found, but he was found to have gunshot residue on his left hand. Now I'm going to point out that he was shot in the back of the head, and there were no fingerprints on the gun. So if he had done this himself. I believe he would have had fingerprints on the gun. Also, it is incredibly difficult to shoot yourself in the back of the head. Yeah. Usually, usually not how people go about that. Yeah. And he was wearing his bulletproof vest. He had a holster for the gun, a belt with a hidden knife in the buckle. And then near the body were a pair of sunglasses that were not his. Again, the mysterious sunglasses killer. Uh, it was they. It was they. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, in the car was a note with directions to the scene. So, obviously, how he had found out how to get there. And it was written in Chuck's handwriting. Several weapons, a cache of ammunition, and a CB radio were also found in the car. But something that was very unusual. In the back seat, they found a white handkerchief, and when they unbundled it, it was one of his teeth wrapped up in this handkerchief. Seems like someone was putting together like a little scavenger hunt or something and just like started placing puzzle pieces all over the place, and they're just like, good luck figuring out what this means. Yeah, and um, another thing to note is that the car had been modified and could be unlocked from the fender. So there was like a special hidden mechanism to unlock the car from the fender. This man had it all thought out. (laughs) He did. So according to the medical examiner, he had been dead for about 12 hours when his body was discovered. Further examination revealed a $2 bill clipped to his underwear because that's where i put my milk money yes specifically a two dollar bill because everyone has one of those right 
I mean, why not? So on the front were seven Spanish names in order from A to G. I I have I pulled up pictures. It is Acevedo, Bejarano, Cajero or Cajero, uh, Duarte, Encinas, Fuente, and Gradillas. And they were in that order, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. On the back of the bill, if you have not seen the back of the $2 bill, it is a uh, representation of the signing of the Declaration of Independence. And the signers of the Declaration were numbered one through seven. And the order that they were in, number one was John Hancock, two, Charles Thompson, three, Benjamin Franklin, four, Thomas Jefferson, five, Robert Livingston, six, Roger Sherman, and seven was John Adams. There was also a crude map drawn on the back depicting roads between Tucson and the Mexico border. They were, um, let's see, Robles Junction and Sasabe were marked on the map, and both areas were very well known for smuggling. Now, I will say they have, oh, yes, I missed, I missed a thing. I missed a thing. Additionally, Ecclesiastes 1 through 8 was also referenced on this bill. So that is the second time Ecclesiastes 1 through 8 came up. I actually have that up if you would like me to read that as to what that verse says. Yes. Because it's very, it's very cryptic in one of those things where it's like, you, it's probably got several meanings in here. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but it says, uh, remember your creator in the days of your youth before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain, when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong, strong men stoop, when the grinders cease because they are few, those looking through the windows grow dim, when the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades, when people rise up at the sound of birds but all their songs grow faint, when people are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets, when the almond tree blooms and the grasshopper drags itself along and desire no longer is stirred, then people go to their eternal home and mourners go about the streets. Remember him before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel broken at the well, and the dust returns to the ground it came from, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. I do not know what translation that is from, because I know there are several, but that's just yeah. what was in the, in the yeah. little notes here. That... I mean, it's pretty. <laughs> yeah. So I will say that, like I mentioned, they never found the letter. And a lot of people think that Ecclesiastes 12, 1 through 8 is probably a book cipher. So the letter would have been encoded and you would use that passage to um, line. Um, what What is it like? chapter line character or something like that. So then based on yeah. whatever that letter contained, it probably had the, uh, 
the contents. I, so I, without the letter, no one will ever know. Now, I will say, being the uh, the little nerd that I am, I was taking a look at all this. And this is not something I had really seen anywhere before. So I don't know if I'm a magic cryptographer now or not. I mean, probably. Yeah. Well, I looked at, so on the front, you have seven names in alphabetical order. And on the back, you have seven numbers. So if I put those seven signers in alphabetical order, I get 7314562, which at the time would have been a phone number. And I looked and 731 is a Tucson area code. Not area code. Mo's going to get too close to the fire here and going to have a black Escalade appear in front of her house. <laughs> Well, here's the thing. Uh, it That was back in 1977. Uh, they now have to use like a, the three-digit prefix. So they use 10-digit phone numbers now. Uh, there's no way of knowing like where that phone ever could have led. But I wonder if that was some sort of contact number back in the day. Uh, that was just, I, I felt super fancy by solving something. And I don't know if I actually solved anything that could be completely. I mean, you could have, but the sad thing is we'll never know because like, unless someone called that number and just hasn't told anyone, no one's going to know. Yeah. And yeah, like that place, if that, if that was a phone number back in the day, that's a big F. They're not there anymore. No, not unless you can somehow trace back that phone number to that date and figure out who had this phone number at this time, which I don't know how you would even do that. I don't know. That sounds like way too much work. It is. It's. It's. Yeah. It's a lot of work. You <laughs> wanted to be a detective, Mo. Here you go. Oh Lord. Um. So two days after discovering his body, the sheriff's office got a call from a woman who called herself Green Eyes. <gasps> you know what? We have talked about this story before, and it never dawned on me. I have green eyes. Mo, was you? Was it you that called? That called this? Uh, that called Ruth? Yes, I went back in time to before I was born and called Charles Morgan's wife and the sheriff. That's yeah, see, truly I mean, what we knew you were a time traveler. It's, it's fine. That would explain the no ears. You're an alien who's a time traveler. This is fine. I have ears. All right. So she confirmed that she was the woman who had called Ruth before Chuck's death. Uh, she also claimed that she had met with Chuck in a motel where he showed her a briefcase full of thousands of dollars in cash. One article claims it was 60000 Another said that it was 90000 But it was for the purpose of a contract has been, had been taken out on his life, and he was going to pay off the hitman. And uh, some reports said that it was increasing $5,000 every single day. So he was planning to buy out the hitman and the police were able to track down the motel, which was on the south side of Tucson. And they hatched, they actually had security camera footage that showed him meeting with a woman presumed to be green eyes several times over the days between his disappearance and his death. Uh, when asked if she thought Chuck was having an affair, 
her what his wife said i don't believe so a woman knows when her man has strayed and chuck hasn't strayed in 19 years so uh, i i want to touch on if there is someone contracted to kill you correct don't meet with them and try to pay them off no because like clearly they're not a trustworthy person they're they've been paid to murder you additionally they will never work again like if, if anybody too. finds out that they can be bought off to not fulfill a contractual obligation no one's gonna hire you it's like so well, several things Charles didn't think about, he had everything thought about, thought out with the whole latch to open the trunk and all that. Why did he, I know they could have probably tampered with him, but why did he not like try to have hidden cameras in his car somewhere if he's going to those lengths? And why would you meet someone who's been paid to murder you in the first place? Then you think you can pay them off. He's just going to kill you, take the money and make double. Another thing, I was looking up some uh, some other people's interpretations of that uh, that verse or whatever, mm-hmm. and it seems to be a lot of the, or this one page that I found seems to think that it's like metaphors for getting old, because the n- the second verse where it says while the sun or light or the moon or the stars be not darkened nor the clouds return after the rain, it could be talking about you losing your vision over time as you get older, like things start to get darker and dimmer. Because you can't mm-hmm. see so well anymore. And the further it goes down, it talks more about that too. Uh, in the day when the keepers of the house shall tremble and the strong men shall bow themselves. Basically just getting weak and frail. And uh, and the grinders cease because they are few. Grinders could be referred to teeth as you age. Your teeth aren't so good anymore. And he had a tooth in his back seat. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Like there's a lot of metaphors in that one for like aging. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I will say it does continue to get weird as the sheriff's office declared it a suicide. The man who was shot in the back of the head with a gun with no fingerprints with somebody else's sunglasses there as he was trying to pay off a hitman. To not kill him. How much you want to bet that those sunglasses are part of the clue too? Because I feel like if you're a hitman and you're like wrapping the tooth up, you're doing the two dollar bill thing. Mm-hmm. If the hitman did that, I, Charles Morgan could have done some of that. Well, the two dollar bill, uh, it was said he had had that on him for years. That okay. is something that was his. I still don't feel like a hitman would have just like forgotten his sunglasses at a crime scene. If he yeah. went through the care of wiping fingerprints off and putting the gunpowder residue on his left hand and all of that, I don't feel like he would have been as careless enough to leave behind some sunglasses. Yeah. And a random tooth. Hey, I wondered, uh, did anyone put these sunglasses on? Maybe there was something written in them that you could only see if you put them on. Or like maybe there was maybe a special, they, there were special bro, lenses. They're in the National Treasure glasses. It's the National Treasure glasses. Give me a $100 bill in Nicolas Cage. <laughs> well, we got a $2 bill. We got a $2 bill and we got Cracker. We don't have a $100 bill or Nicolas Cage, but it's close enough. 
Um, so even though the sheriff said it was a suicide, the ME actually listed it as an unresolved death, which is basically speak for, uh, like they couldn't yeah. confirm it was suicide. They couldn't confirm it was homicide. They couldn't, con well, they could confirm it was not natural causes unless that bullet was a natural cause, but, um, they couldn't, they could not confirm either way so it's unresolved um investigators at the time were split on the call so um uh, someone felt it could have been a murder but the prevailing theory was that chuck used his thumb to pull the trigger and that the blood and dust on the gun were why no fingerprints were found that's a like if, if this man's wearing a bulletproof vest, he went through all the trouble of doing all of that. I don't feel like he would have done that. Well, not to mention, why would he still be wearing the bulletproof vest if he was going to kill himself? Yeah, unless he was, like, insane and wanted people to think that he was involved in something bigger than what he actually was, and this was his way of doing it. Plausible. So, his wife and family did not believe that theory, and they maintained that he was murdered. Uh, Ruth... His wife. Oh, hang on. I don't know where that yawn came from. Ruth was adamant that Chuck. Oh, that had Chuck ended his life, he would have left a note. Would have left a note. Now, granted, there was a letter that nobody knows about. But, uh, you know, maybe that was a suicide note. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was all, you know, the answer to the meaning of life. 42? You don't know. So, Who knows? In the 80s and 90s, Don Devereaux began investigating the case, and he was involved in an Unsolved Mysteries segment that aired in 1990. Devereaux found out that Chuck's car, after it had been in, impounded after his murder, was broken into at the police yard. And Chuck's office was ransacked around the same time. Three weeks after the murder, his wife was visited by two men who claimed to be FDI agents, but they flashed their bags too quickly for her to get an actual good look, and she can't remember their names. That ain't they, suspicious at all. Well, yeah, like, I feel like if you were like, hey, can I see? The, can Wait, no, can you get that back? I would like to see it. Thank you. Um, yeah, it's, I feel like you have a right to, to ask that sort of question. Yeah. Uh, they searched the house and they tore it apart. Never told her what they were looking for. And it didn't seem like they found it. So either they didn't find it or they found it and pretended they didn't so that, you know, nobody would know. Uh, when, when, uh, so I don't know if Don Devereaux was a detective or... I, I think I somewhere it said that, uh, let me see, because I've got I, some stuff wrote down here. Yeah, I can't remember if he was a detective or a journalist. Journalist. He's an investigative journalist. He's an investigative journalist. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Um, so uh, when he reached out to the FBI, they claimed that they had no knowledge of Chuck Morgan at all. So... These two men probably weren't actual FBI agents, but with 
Charles or Chuck's apparent tie to the Treasury Department, you would think um, the FBI would know something. I'm I'm doing some research here, and um, are the FBI going to come to my house for this? Maybe. Because uh, one of the comments that I read on uh, where I have my notes and everything from where I first brought up the story... Someone said, I think it could be related to the mafia work in Arizona in the 70s. My step-grandpa was the cop that uncovered the whole thing. Basically, the mafia was trying to illegally build a highway using government money, and a reporter found out, and they put a bomb in his car. Now, I don't want to go off of a comment, so I was doing research while you were reading that. And apparently, that was a thing, and there are uh, there are some big names in Washington, D.C. that were involved in this. They, they This news article even lists them as an Arizona mafia member. One of them being Back the former the chief of 70s. the United States. Yeah, yeah, but still, one of these people uh, was the former chief of the United States Department of Homeland Security. Oh, yeah, great. So, um, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Um, so anyway, uh, that does touch on that there was likely mafia involvement in this case. So... During the 70s, the mafia started operating out of Arizona due to a state law that allowed anyone to buy land through blind trust accounts. These types of sales were a great way to cover up money laundering. Uh, Basically, the nature of a blind trust meant that there was a lot of privacy and things were practically untraceable. So gold bullion and platinum were standard laundering methods in the area, but those transactions only existed on paper. So it was found out that Chuck did escrow work for a mafia family beginning in 1973, where he was dealing with several million in bullion and platinum. But due to the blind trust laws as the escrow agent, Chuck would only be, he would be the only one to know who owned any of the properties. So this allowed the mafia to have these blind quote unquote agreements. And then suddenly there was clean money. So uh, there was an article that claims Chuck worked with uh, the Ned Warren and Joe Bonanno families. These escrow sales were most likely empty transactions used to move money through several escrows, which legitimized the money. Again, laundering it. Ruth reported that Chuck told her that he was aware of the money laundering and was not involved in it himself. But he didn't give her details because he didn't want to put his family at risk. He did allude to the fact that he had information on prominent Tucson, um, it's Tucsonans, Tucson locals and politicians involving escrow, land deals, and money laundering that could be potentially embarrassing and damaging. After the Unsolved Mysteries episode, Devereaux was given more information, leading him to possible mafia connections and money laundering activities. He found out that Chuck kept copies of everything, even the illicit transactions, which likely led to him being killed. Devereaux posited the theory that Chuck was working with the government and his cover might have been blown. 
And that resulted in the mafia putting a hit on him due to all of the money that he had about, or all of the money, all of the knowledge he had about the money laundering and everything. The hitman let Chuck know about the hit on him, and which I think is interesting that a hitman would be like, hi, yeah. I was hired to kill you. That's um, another thing, too, that I didn't even think about until you just brought it up was like, how did he figure out who this hitman is? And where yeah. to meet him and how to get in contact with him. Like, surely his name is not just listed in the yellow pages, right? Uh, yeah, but... Um, like, here's yeah. my name and number. Need someone dead. Call me. <laughs> yeah, I like, I feel like if it leaked that there was a hit on him, it would not have been the hitman to tell him. But Ooh. Chuck decided to get the money together and try to save his life. But they think when Chuck met up with the hitman, the hitman killed him and took the money. Well, Surprise. now that I say that, too, there's a part in the story, too. Um, I think Green Eyes was like a double agent because mm. uh, I think she was the one that leaked who it was to him because the second time she called, she did mention about Charles meeting up with her and showing her a briefcase full of money and telling her about going to buy off the hitman. This is how they knew about that, mm -hmm. if I'm not mistaken. Yes. So it could be Green Eyes was like working both sides, but like wanting to help out this guy. And that's why she remained anonymous because she took a split. Yeah. Hmm. So Devereaux is investigating and suddenly one day a man who... um I guess worked across the street from Devereaux was driving a nearly identical car and he was murdered. And it's not suspicious at all. Yeah. And then later a potential source just suspiciously died before they could meet with him and share information on the case. So it sounds like there's a lot of covering up happening. If you have information on a case, like if I ever, I hope I don't find myself in like a situation like Charles Morgan, but like if I ever find myself with information like that, I'm not going to use phones. That's I was going to say, are you, are you going to show up at 2 a.m. with a hallucinogenic drug <laughs> painted on the back of your throat wearing one handcuff? Just imagine you hear banging on your door at 3 a.m. and it's like me with like a Hello Kitty pink handcuff on my wrist and I'm just like, please help. See, I would be like, wow, you you had a rough night, huh? <laughs> just sleeping on the like, couch. This is serious. I can't talk. Please call the Bondulance. <laughs> so... In 1979, there was an article published by the Arizona, Arizona, Lord, I can't talk today, the Arizona Daily Star. It had a lot of information that might shed a little bit of light on what was happening. According to the article, Morgan was involved with the local Masonic Lodge. Now, some of the writings on the $2 bill have been considered Masonic, although what that means is unclear. So um, I don't know if you know much about the Masonic Lodge. A little bit, because like in some way or another, all conspiracy theories always have something to do with the Freemasons involved, it <laughs> seems. 
Yeah. So it is a private lodge, um, which is the basic organizational unit of Freemasonry. Now, unlike things like the Illuminati, the Freemasons are actually known to exist. Now, to what level? That we don't know. But Freemasons are a thing, and he was apparently part of them. Uh, the day that he disappeared, I believe it was the first time, he was planning on going to a Masonic meeting that night. And then, according to Ruth, the $2 bill is something that he typically kept on him, and it had been in his possession for years. Chuck told her that it had been taken from him during his first disappearance and then returned, which is kind of weird. Uh, Ruth was also quoted as saying that one of the things keeping Chuck from talking after his first disappearance was a swollen tongue, allegedly from the drugs. She also noticed that a briefcase he always had just disappeared. Now, with the swollen tongue... If, in fact, he was tortured, you know, if he was captured and flown Lord knows where and tortured, I feel like a swollen tongue could be a result of some of those things. Possibly. I mean, if it's a drug that does something like that, that I mean, that's not really a common thing that people are reporting on. So it's probably an experimental thing. So- or it could have been an allergic reaction to the drug. There could have been that too. Because I know, like, if I eat shellfish, my tongue goes all wonky. Was it shellfish toxin? Was he allergic to shellfish toxin? I mean, these are all good questions. Is shellfish toxin a thing? Well, yes. Google it. Shellfish toxin. I remember I sent you a thing one time. That just because oh. I like to send you things to, to scare you at like 3 a.m. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the CIA releasing classified information about a heart attack gun, which basically was shellfish toxin inside a little ice bullet that basically just left a red mark on whoever they hit with it. And then once the ice melted, the toxin released and the death would always appear to be a heart attack. Okay, so it is called DSP, which is diuretic shellfish poison. It's a marine biotoxin toxin, which I don't know what the difference is between a biotoxin toxin is versus just a biotoxin uh, produced by. I don't know. Uh, produced by the dinoflagellate dinophysis, which is a type of naturally occurring microscopic algae. Shellfish eat these algae and then retain the toxin. So people can become ill from eating shellfish contaminated with diuretic shellfish poison. Now, there's also paralytic shellfish poisoning, which is a naturally occurring marine biotoxin that is produced by... Oh, I guess this is something... It's similar. It's similar. So diuretic shellfish poisoning is one type, and paralytic shellfish poisoning is another. Um, So I guess... Uh, it looks like diuretic, you can become ill, whereas paralytic, you it uh, become seriously ill. I'm guessing. I don't know how this works. Listen, I don't. I don't know anything about fish. 
This yeah. is this is above my pay grade. Oh wow! So some of it can create uh, the paralytic shellfish poisoning can create sexotoxin, which is um, when ingested by humans is one of the most lethal toxins. Um, well, symptoms then that include about right. Yeah, symptoms include tingling, numbness, and if consumed, dot, 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 um, load, please. Thank you. So if consumed, consumed. So he probably had it swabbed on the back of his throat. If he swallowed it, that was consuming it. It just, I guess, wouldn't absorb into his body just being on the back of his throat. Oh, this is scary. Uh, Saxotoxin is lethal at concentrations 1,000 times less than cyanide. It is a powerful neurotoxin released by plankton in algal blooms. Saxotoxin is so potent that it was the only marine toxin declared a chemical weapon by the 1993 International Treaty, uh, known as the Chemical Weapons Convention. And uh, it bears a long and complex history with the U.S. government in particular. And so this took place, Charles Morgan, this happened in 1977. Um, Did we just uncover a piece of this puzzle here? Well, saxitoxin was banned by President Nixon in 1969, but the CIA neglected to destroy a stockpile of the substance that yeah, it had already distilled. Say, just because they ban it, that just means the general public can't use it. Oh, they, that too. They ban things that they're not going to be using it in secret experiments and tests and stuff. This is true. This is true. And also, um, there's a pretty big history um, in California and the Mexican border. And guess where this took place? Not in California, but on the Mexican Arizona, border. Arizona, close by. Yeah. Yep. Arizona on the Mexican border. So it is possible that because it tingling, swelling, it could have been shellfish toxin mixed with something that way it wouldn't like absorb into his skin from his throat well yeah but like he said it he was it, then painted it would. Yeah. yeah so it could have been like a thicker paste that like the because uh, i'm assuming shellfish toxin isn't potent permanently well, it, like shellfish toxin industry. has to be ingested too it has to go into your stomach and then in you know yeah in through all that stuff so if there was something painted on his throat that held that suspended the toxin that if he swallowed it, he it would die. Up. Yeah. Oh Lord. That's scary. Hey, look at that. I had, I, I guessed it right for once. <laughs> so back to the story. Chuck was fired from Western title insurance agency five months before his death for arguing with a supervisor. Uh, Owning his own escrow business was a recent development, but it had been a dream for years. Getting the license for his business was not easy, as he had to testify against individuals for alleged illegal activities concerning land sales. This testimony was given secretly, but Chuck told associates he feared for his life. He often refused to sit with his back to a window, which is interesting. And there were also rumors... Um, about some people not wanting Chuck to have his own business because he would be their direct competition. Co hey. 
don't know. It was the seventies. Co-workers and associates. (laughs) Well, people are still like that, but you know, whatever. Co-workers and associates reported him often talking about having to look over his shoulder until the statute of limitations ran out on some possible illegal activities he was involved in. Now, I'm assuming that's probably like money laundering, but I don't know what the statute of limitations is on that. So when Ruth told the sheriff's department about Chuck's claim that he was an agent for the treasury, they contacted the federal agencies in the area, but could not find any evidence that he worked with any of them. However, I mean, I feel like if, you know, they had a secret agent on the inside, they would not just, you know, give out record of that. Yeah, it's like, hey, guys, secret agent. Woo! Uh, So two days after he died, the U.S. Customs Department reached out to inform the sheriff that Chuck and two other association associates, not associations, associates were investigated in 1973 concerning a scam to sell non-existent gold to some parties in Mexico. (laughs) Customs said that there wasn't enough to pursue a federal indictment at the time, but one of the other associates was already dead, which made Chuck the second of the three. That's not suspicious at all. Yeah, like there are so many angles of... You know, somebody yeah. somebody killed him. It's just like, which bad reason did they have? Exactly. Apparently there was many. Yeah. So Chuck was a collector of sorts in that he kept notes and records of everything. Everything. Uh, Ruth stated that she had found records showing large deposits and checks written, but had not found any of those assets. There were telegrams from Switzerland, England, and Mexico discussing the buying and selling of millions of ounces of almost pure gold. A former gold smuggler had talked to the reporter for the article that uh, this was listed in and claimed that he knew Chuck and had worked with him often. He said the night before Chuck died, he was seen leaving a known area for smuggling with one of the quote-unquote big smugglers in the area. Now, in a more recent article, one of Chuck's daughters claimed that she believed her father was killed to protect the interests of corrupt businessmen and politicians. She said, my father had a lot of information about people here in Tucson that could have been very detrimental. There was a lot of information about politicians, people who are still alive, that work in our government. He had that information and they wanted to silence him. Now that is I mean, just I did daughter. just mention that, you know, former head yeah. of, you know, Department of Homeland Security was involved in all this in some way or another. So I mean Yeah. I mean the the problem is that there's so little proof of anything. Yeah. Because yeah. he you No, know, that was literally just one article I pulled up. So I'm not saying that's a fact, but I'm just saying yeah. that's what they were pulling up because they listed a bunch of names in that article. Yeah. Well, I mean, even going beyond that. So the first time he shows, he, he disappears, he shows up, refuses medical attention, refuses to call the cops. So there's no document of anything. There are no tests run to find out what was painted on his throat, if there was something painted on his throat. 
Uh, there was no investigation as to why, where was he, what had happened. And there's so much hearsay that, and I think as the years go on, I think that's just making it a little more like elusive. It's almost like the D.B. Cooper thing where it's yeah. just kind of building and building. And because it is unsolved, because nobody truly knows what happens happened or the people that do know are dead it's it just makes it kind of snowball now if we if this had all taken place you know like last year or something like that there may be more to go on but yeah well yeah it's an old case too yeah because now like everything everyone does they can somehow you know either cell phone uh you know, tracking you by the cell yeah. phone towers, general location. Uh, they can, you know, CCTV is everywhere. Like there is so much stuff. And you're I saying think, that back then it was a lot easier to carry out a hit than it is today. It was a lot easier to do pretty. I mean, why do you think the seventies were the like golden era of serial killers? Pretty much. Yeah. Less technology. Well, less technology and people, you know, it was right after the peace, love and. Yeah, everybody was picking up hitchhikers and it was all fine. Yeah, it was hitchhikers. You didn't lock your front door. You trusted people. So like, you know, back then, if somebody was like knocking on your door, oh, can I use your phone? My car broke down. You're good. They were much more likely to let somebody into their house than like nowadays where if you knock on my door. I am not going to answer it. I'm going to wait for you to Hippity walk away. Hippity hoppity, get off my property. <laughs> Leave my Amazon package and go. Yes, I did not. I did not pay extra for the social interaction. Please leave. <laughs> well, like I, so Chris is not a fan of DoorDash. I love it because every single delivery is a no contact delivery. <laughs> I ain't a fan of DoorDash after I saw a, a DoorDash driver in a restaurant take the little warm bag thing with all the orders in it into the restroom with them. Oh, I am never getting DoorDash in your area. Yeah, no, I wouldn't recommend that. I don't even I don't remember if it was DoorDash or Uber Eats. It was something like that. Oh, see, I don't I, I use DoorDash. Any I sort think- of food delivery that is not the actual restaurant itself delivering to you. I, yeah. I generally steer clear of. Well, see, usually the restaurant, though, they seal your bag with a sticker. Yeah. So, like, my food's not touched. But but still, I'd rather not have my food in a bathroom, in a public bathroom. Yeah, agreed. 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 But it could be worse. It could be open in the bathroom. Like, they, they could be, like, licking your burrito in the public restroom and then wrapping it back up and putting it in your bag. Yeah. It's yeah, fine. <laughs> this is not my burrito. What is this? <laughs> but that is the perplexing story of Charles Morgan. And, and apparently uh something we can possibly touch on at a later date if I go back up to my little notes here. Apparently this story, because I pulled this up from uh, someone posted this that I follow on Instagram. Uh, let's see. This reminded them of another story that we can research and bring up at a later time, because apparently there's one that's even more mysterious, and there maybe it's, it's like roughly the same as what we just went Ooh. over. 
it says, um, they said, this reminds me so much of Ray Rivera's death. He left behind a paper taped to the back of his computer with references to Freemasonry and had a bunch of listed movies that could have been some sort of code. He was found dead having fallen from a hotel roof some sort of other uh, through some sort of other building. But when investigated, it didn't, it didn't line up with his... Uh, it did, what didn't line up was that his body created a hole but suggested he was thrown off of something else and the hole was set up. Oh. That's weird. And apparently it's another one of those unsolved cases. Yeah. I have not heard of that one, though the name sounds familiar, but that'll be interesting to research. Yeah, we'll definitely have to look into it. So uh, that is going to wrap up our first episode here. And I don't have an outro planned. I don't have one either. Uh, what sound does a squonk and a hag make? Squonk, squonk. Hag. Close enough. <laughs> but uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, mostly, probably Tay. So, Tay, we love you. Thank you for wanting us to do this. Though yes. we're probably still not sure why. Yeah, but, you know, people love the ran ramblings and the chaos. So thank you, Tay. <laughs> and uh, we will be doing this again. <laughs> yes. We should work on this outro. It'd be fine. <laughs>